You can always close your eyes. Hola, los invito a escuchar Conoce Tu Colombia, un programa producido por Columbia River Keeper que se transmite cada otro martes de 7 a 8 de la noche. Entérese de lo que pasa en las comunidades que vivimos a lo largo del río Colombia. Compartimos información sobre la importancia de proteger nuestros recursos naturales. Además, tocamos temas de justicia social y culturales que son relevantes para nuestras comunidades. Recuerde, escuche Conoce Tu Colombia en Radio Tierra, el latido del gorcho, tu radio comunitaria. Qué difícil cantarle a tierra madre que nos aguanta y nos vio Usted está escuchando Radio Tierra en el 95.1 FM Hood River, 95.9 FM Stevenson, 107.1 FM Parkdale, 107.7 FM Diddells, Casas, El Latido del Gorge, su radio comunitaria. Hola, usted está escuchando Conoce Tu Colombia, un programa producido por Columbia River Keeper que se transmite cada 15 días los martes. Yo soy Ubaldo Hernández y esta tarde noche va a estar con nosotros nuestra compañera uh, Lori Epstein. Ella es la directora de la calidad del agua en el río Columbia para Columbia River Keeper y vamos a estar platicando sobre los proyectos en que ella está trabajando, cómo estos proyectos benefician a nuestra comunidad y cómo nosotros como comunidad podemos participar en estos proyectos junto con Columbia River Keeper. Uh, la conversación va a ser en inglés, este, esperemos que les sea de su interés y pues bueno, vamos a empezar esta conversación con nuestra compañera Lori Epstein. Uh, Lori, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks Ubaldo, thanks for having me on the show today. No, thanks for coming, it's a pleasure to have you here on the table and, and kind of starting with new uh, setting now, like a studio recording, so that's really nice. Yeah, you, and I always enjoy getting to work with you. So you are the first guest on this on this setup. So ooh, I feel is, honored. This is really nice. But uh, Laurie, can you tell us a little bit about you? And uh, uh, do you live in Hood River? Uh, so people can know who you are. And uh, yeah, so I live here in Hood River, and I've been with Columbia Riverkeeper for uh, 13 years now. And um, I run our water quality monitoring program, and I also do a lot of outreach and education with Columbia Riverkeeper. And um, my background is in salmon biology. So I studied pristine, untouched salmon rivers in the Russian Far East, and then um, brought that knowledge back to the Columbia River to you know our river that's a little bit more impacted by humans, but you know, brought that understanding of how salmon rivers can work and can be. Um, and then I also have, um, I have some background in outdoor education. So I get to bring some of that experience to working with students here in the gorge and um, doing environmental education um, and working with school groups down at the Nichols Natural Area. So that's really fun for me as well. So you've been working for Columbia River Keeper for 15 years which is a really long time, specifically in this community. So it's a long time serving our communities and protecting and ensuring there is clean, healthy water for our communities. On the work you do, what are the projects that you're working on? Well, I have a few different projects going, but, but all of them kind of involve connecting people to the Columbia River. And 
um, you know, helping people build, you know, a relationship with this place and with this environment. So with our water quality monitoring program, we collect water quality data on the Columbia River from swim beaches, um, kind of all up and down the river, but um, focused in the gorge area and in kind of the greater Portland area. So we collect water samples and test them for E. coli bacteria. And, um, you know, which is a, it's a bacteria that's naturally found in the intestines of warm-blooded mammals. But if you find it in, um, in the water, then it's a sign of fecal contamination and it can make people sick if they're swimming it and ingest the water. So we test the water and then um, we share those results with the public through our free swim guide app and website. So it's an awesome tool um, where people can go online um, or use the app and find out what are the most current water quality conditions of their favorite swim beach. So it's really awesome for people who, you know, want to go um, to the Hood River waterfront or go to some of the beaches in Portland and maybe want to take their family and, um, but you know, maybe have some concerns about the water quality. You can go online and check that first. And so we will flag the beaches as red or green, kind of safe or unsafe for swimming based on those bacteria levels. Um, so, you know, our idea is not to scare people away from swimming and think like, oh my gosh, you know, it's too dirty, I can't go. That's actually, you know, we're, we're sort of trying to do the opposite of that is give people the tools and the information that they can make their own informed decisions and, you know, decide for themselves, um, you know, what, they, what they're comfortable with and, and empower people with that information and, and allow them to go and swim and enjoy the Columbia with confidence and not have fear or concern about, you know, if they're going to get sick or if their child's going to get sick. Um, so that's, um, yeah, that's one of our projects. And we do our monitoring. Um, like I said, we have a water quality lab in Hood River and one in Portland. And so our sampling, you know, right now is kind of centered around those areas and we sample in kind of the warmer months so more or less like may through september um, and people can go to the swimguide.org or the columbia river website to see those um, results and see how the water quality is looking that's really interesting and it's really good that people can visit this website or the app the swim guide app and they can find the information and they can go to places uh, and make sure making sure that their family is going to be recreating or uh, passing a good time uh, on a safety place so without contamination so when you talk about the e coli levels if the e coli levels are really high we uh, in columbia riverkeeper we advise the the ports or whoever the authorities are and let them know that they, those levels are really high but also i remember you talking to me once that the e coli is not just uh, it's not just E. coli on the water. It could be not just E. coli. So the E. coli is we use this as a, a, a the as the um, an indicator indicator. Right. Right. So it, that means if there's E. coli on the water, high levels of E. coli, e. coli there's another bacteria that. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Yeah, E. coli is considered an indicator bacteria. So if you find E. coli in the water, then it is. Um, you know, pretty likely that there are other pathogenic bacteria, you know, in the water as well. 
And, you know, E. coli can come from, you know, a variety of different sources. I mean, there can be natural sources of E. coli. Beavers, for example, living in the water, you know, that can be a natural source of E. coli. And even a totally wild, you know, pristine beaver pond um, could have really high levels of E. coli. That's totally natural. But at the same time, you probably don't want to swim in that water because, you know, if you were to ingest some of that, then, then you could get sick from it. There are other, you know, human-caused sources as well, well, whether it be um, a leaking sewer pipe or unmaintained septic um, or even, you know, people not picking up after their dogs. Um, You know, that can kind of, when it rains or, um, you know, if the area around is being irrigated, that gets washed into the Columbia River and can present E. coli into the the water as well. Um, But, yeah, E. coli is a way to kind of do a single test um, to not have to, you know, do hundreds of different tests, but kind of look for this one thing that can then, you know, be used as an indicator um, of other bacterias. And it's worth mentioning, too, that the Swim Guide app, it's based just on E. coli, um, you know, and there are, you know, potentially other pollutants in the river. And so within the app, we are able to also, we can go in and give a site special status. So for example, if we know that a particular site, um, I don't know, maybe there's recently been a spill there, or um, we know, you know, this is a place where um, there's a lot of industrial pollution and it really just wouldn't be a safe place to swim. We can go in and give those sites a special status. But in general, um, you know, the app is kind of working off of E. coli data. That brought to my attention is on the speed, which a lot of people take their dogs to, to run freely because close to the river, is a, they can't run away. There's no way that you, they can run and get into the streets or the freeway. So they take a lot of time, the dogs, to walk there. And, and a lot of people don't pick up after the dogs. So, and a lot of this uh, E. coli pollution is created by us and our pets. And I think this is a really important time for to remind people that importance of picking up their uh, feces from their dogs because they are creating a problem. And that problem showed up early this year when, when the levels of the river were really high and it was a lot of uh, E. coli on the water, isn't it? Yeah, this early this spring, um, or I guess it was late spring and early summer when we had really high levels of water in the Columbia, you know, we were seeing um, high levels of E. coli at quite a few beaches along the Columbia, um, which is, you know, a, it is a little bit unusual to see that many sites, um, you know, of the sites that we monitor with high E. coli. And, and you know, I think what was happening was that we've got high water that's flooding areas that aren't normally flooded or haven't been flooded for a long time. And, you know, it's grabbing everything that's on the ground you know so any um you know and it's not just um you know e coli but trash garbage everything that's kind of caught up along the shoreline you know as the water floods that it's pulling all of that into the water um so we were seeing some high levels this spring it seems like things have kind of um for the most part you know kind of calmed down as the water's receding but um yeah, that can definitely happen. We can also see sometimes high E. coli after, if we get a rain event, especially if we have a rain event when it has not rained for a while, 
then you'll see, you know, that rain, same thing, is washing everything in its path from the street, from the road, from the parking lot, from, you know, the grass near the river. It's washing all of that into the river. So sometimes we can see, you know, spikes of E. coli after a rain event um, that's kind of washing everything down into the river. So and this is a good reminder to our community to be careful when we pollute, we throw garbage on the streets, we don't pick up after the dogs, and uh, and we are creating these problems for our community. So it's important for us to be also responsible because we need to ensure that we are not tossing garbage, uh, the, the candy uh, wrap uh, on the street or pick up after our dogs, that, which is really important. and. Uh, and just to, to remind our community that you go and visit the Swim app. There is an app, and also it's in Spanish, so you can get all this information, and 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 uh, and you can make sure that when you go out to the river, you can go to places that are not contaminated. Um, and also an interesting thing about this app, the app is all over the world. It is, yeah. There's, I think it's over 10,000 beaches now all over the world. So it's an awesome tool for, you know, if you're traveling somewhere new and it's a hot day, you want to figure out where you can go cool off and jump in some water. You know, everything is geolocated. So when you pull up the app, it's going to know, you know, where you are and can show you the closest places. And then there's descriptions of the beaches and, you know, some of the amenities that might be there or anything you might need to know about it. Um, and there's photos, so it's an awesome tool to use when you're traveling and maybe if you're unfamiliar. Um, I actually had a personal experience um, a few years ago. Um, I was with visiting some family in Southern California and we were headed out to the beach and so I quickly pulled up the Swim Guide app just to see you know, this beach that we were headed to, what it looked like, and sure enough, it was flagged red you know, for high E. coli levels. And so you know, quickly had my family hey, let's pivot, let's maybe go to this other beach um, that looks like it doesn't have, you know, water quality issues. So, you know, we're, we're unfamiliar with the area. So, you know, we wouldn't have known that. So it's an awesome tool. Um, it's a great resource to use, you know, really anywhere uh, that you are. Yeah, that's a that's really good uh, app to have. So we invite people, that, our listeners, to uh, go to uh, swimapp.com. Yeah, it's called the Swim Guide. The website is theswimguide.org, um, and then if you you know you can search the app store. It's available for um, you know Apple and Android. It's a free app, um, and you can download the Swim Guide app as well. And um, and also you can visit Columbia River Keeper website, and we have that information right there. So that's really interesting. And um, so passing that from passing from the swim up, there is another issue that we are dealing with a uh, with a river, especially in the summertime. And uh, I think this problem has been increasing in the last few years, which is the uh, toxic algae. What is that? Yeah. So um, so harmful algal blooms or toxic algae are. Um, overgrowths of algae or algae-like bacteria that produce toxins that can be um, nerve toxins, liver toxins, you know, they can make people really sick. Um, pets and small children are particularly vulnerable because of their small size and their tendency, you know, pets, dogs, for example, are often drinking water right from the river, um, you know, kids are 
getting it into their mouth and ingesting it. Um, but so they're, they're algal overgrowths that are producing um, toxic toxins, but not all algae produces this toxin. And unfortunately, the difficult thing is that you really cannot tell just from looking at an algal bloom if it's producing toxins or not. So, um, you know, the, the general motto is when in doubt, stay out. So if you see the water looks pea green or it's slick like someone has spilled green paint um, or if it's, you know, foamy, scuzzy water, then you want to avoid that and you want to keep your pets and kids, you know, avoid water contact. Um, the you can you can absorb the toxins, you know, from ingestion, but also even if the water's disturbed and you inhale, you can inhale these toxins, you can absorb it through your skin. So you really want to avoid these situations um, if you, you know, if you see them. And, you know, I think unfortunately on the Columbia, this is going to become probably a bigger and bigger issue. You know, these algae thrive in warm, slow moving, nutrient rich waters. So, you know, as we have, um, you know, nutrient rich runoff, um, you know, whether it be from, you know, agriculture or, you know, kind of any of these inputs that are kind of pumping nutrients into the water. And then we've got the dams on the Columbia that are creating, you know, these reservoirs of very slow moving water that's absorbing a lot of solar radiation, getting hot. So we're kind of creating these conditions um, where these algae can thrive. And then with climate change, uh, you know, as these waters are getting warmer, you know, we may see that this is more and more of a problem. So it's definitely something to be aware of and be looking out for. Um, you know, a lot of times the issues are worse late in the summer. So August, September, you know, late summer, early fall um, is a lot of times when we see these peaks, but you know, it can happen um, anytime. And so it's just a good thing for people to be aware of. And I should mention too, if people are interested in learning more about harmful algal blooms, we've got a lot of information on our website. Um, we've got a um, FAQ of frequently asked questions about um, algal blooms on our website that's available in both English and Spanish. And we also have some fact sheets that are available in English and Spanish. So if people are interested in learning a little bit more about that and you know things that they can do to help prevent algal blooms and also you know to protect themselves and protect their family, there's some really great information on our website about that. So then the problem with the algae, we create this problem because with the dams, we slow the flow of the river because if we didn't slow the flow of the river, that water should be really cold. Yeah, we're certainly exacerbating the problem. And, um, you know, a lot of these um, human-caused issues are, you know, potentially making this issue worse. And uh, fertilizers mm -hmm. that we use on the agricultural industry. So they use a lot of fertilizers that a lot of the goes to the uh, river, to, to the water sources, and, and eventually it reaches the Columbia River. Uh, that's a really strong mm -hmm. nutrients for these algae. And also, when people don't pick up after the dogs. So. Yeah, I mean, the nutrient inputs, um, you know, is definitely a problem. I mean, you can think of it as that's like 
feeding the algae, you know, so that's kind of giving it, I mean, it's the same thing, you know, it's the same, doing the same thing it does when we put these fertilizers, you know, on our fields or on our farms, you know, that's this boost of nutrients and really, you know, giving the algae the food that it needs to grow. Um, so yeah, I think things that we can do to, um, you know, minimize our use of fertilizers and kind of be aware of that kind of runoff. Um, you know, water withdrawals that are, you know, creating conditions with lower flows, um, you know, that contributes to it. Um, and again, yeah, the, you know, the dams on the Columbia are definitely creating conditions that can help these algae to thrive. And there, there's, there are some places um, people may have heard, you know, the Willamette River has had some pretty significant issues in past years. So there are times when, you know, warnings are issued um, you know, not to swim or avoid certain sections of the Willamette. Um, we haven't seen as much of it on the Columbia, but you know, it's kind of becoming more and more of an issue. Last summer there in the Tri-Cities area, um, there were a few, I think it was three dogs that died from, you know, drinking this contaminated water. So it's just really important for people to be aware of, you know, if you see that that pea green color, or if it looks like paint or, you know, anything that seems concerning, then, you know, I would definitely avoid um, those areas. Well, this is a really good information. So our community is aware of the issues that are going in the Columbia and, uh, and take action. One of the things I would like to talk about is a lot of these uh, uh, water testing for E. coli are done by volunteers. And uh, so it's Columbia River Keeper looking for volunteers or how people can reach out and become a volunteer for Columbia River Keeper. Yeah, uh, things have, with the pandemic, things shifted a little bit, but I think we're sort of moving into a time where we're more able to work, you know, with more volunteers again. Um, but we also hire paid interns. So we have, um, an, a summer internship opportunity that we offer pretty much every summer um, in the Gorge and in the Portland area. And it's awesome for somebody who is trying to gain some experience, maybe build their resume. So the interns are collecting the samples. I train them to run the samples in the lab and they're reporting the results. Um, it's a really independent position, but it's awesome for someone who you know wants to get some of that field experience some lab experience. Um, so yeah, it's a great opportunity for folks that are interested in that. And we usually post those positions in the spring each year. Um, but yeah, there's also opportunities for volunteers to help with um, some of the some of the water sampling, um, you know, collecting the samples and, you know, dropping those off at the lab. So if folks are interested, they can um, definitely reach out to me. And then also, I always, you know, we have a lot of sites on the swim guide. Um, Columbia Riverkeeper is the only organization, government or non-government, that is monitoring recreation swim beaches on the Columbia for E. coli. So um, if you're looking at the swim guide and your favorite beach isn't on there, you know, definitely, definitely let us know. I think a lot of people sea beaches, um, you know, places like the Hood River Waterfront Park that's like clearly built for swimming, nice, nice sandy beach, it's roped off, it's a little bit protected from the current, and assume that somebody must be monitoring if this water is 
safe and clean to swim in. And before Columbia Riverkeeper stepped in to fill that gap, there really was that really wasn't happening. So, um, you know, I think, you know, we're trying to to do the work that we can, but I also think it's important to share, you know, you'll see if you log onto the app, you'll see some of the beaches are flagged gray, meaning they're not being monitored. And that's important information for people to know as well. Um, you know, that these are sites that, you know, aren't being monitored. Columbia Riverkeeper isn't able to to get to them, you know, at this point, but that's an important thing for people to know as well. And this is really important for people to know that they can volunteer and help us to put those uh, beaches or places on the list and people can bring samples to the office and we can process those and find out if the E. coli levels are high or or that's a safe place to, to recreate. Um, one of the things that I think about um, the importance of our community participating with organizations like Columbia Riverkeeper is really important because that, that will make the difference. Like Lori just mentioned, like there is places that probably is not in or or we don't consider a, 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 a fun place to be, but somebody does, right? Then communities start getting to these places and uh, it's really nice if members of the community they volunteer bring samples from those places and we can share with the community so they will be uh, recreating in a place where at least there is not equal eye levels yeah and i love that idea of having it be kind of a community effort and getting people engaged with it and you know kind of um community members and volunteers being able to kind of take some ownership over it and, um, you know, kind of help help each other, right? You know, if there are places that people like to go, um, you know, let's help get information into the hands of people that are enjoying those places or that want to enjoy those places. When people participate, we can make the difference. And we have a project that we're going next on this conversation. It's Nichols Natural Area. And, uh, and that's a place where Columbia Riverkeeper is working in, into a natural restoration uh, on the waterfront. Something really out of the book because that waterfront has been developed for recreational and or industrial use. So to have a small area and restore the natural landscape, natural habitat, it's really important and I would like to know more from you, Lori, what, how this project started. Yeah, so there's about three acres on the south end of the Nichols Boat Basin, if people are familiar with that area, but like you said, right at the Hood River waterfront that um, is a former industrial site. Um, it used to be where the Nichols Boat Works operated, so they were building and repairing boats um, on the property. And then after the boat works, you know, was no longer operating, it basically sat as this former industrial site. And um, the city owns the property. And when um, there was some development happening at the waterfront with a new hotel being built and and when that when that was happening and some of the you know kind of decisions were being made with that development, um, the city decided to put that three acres under a conservation easement and they approached Columbia Riverkeeper and asked us to help manage the conservation easement. Now keep in mind this is on the banks of the river but there was almost nothing growing there, you know, some gravel, some weeds, um, certainly not what you would consider healthy. Blackberries. Riper- <laughs> Blackberries. Certainly not what you would consider healthy riparian habitat. So what we decided to do was 
um, to turn this into a community project and work with our local community to restore healthy riparian habitat. So if folks are familiar with the site or if you've been down there, I mean, it has just absolutely transformed um, in the past, you know, five to eight years. Um, it's a different place. So every tree that's been planted, every shrub, all by volunteers, every weed that's been pulled. Um, we've had so many people come down to, you know, work parties or planting parties and lend a hand and help really transform that site. And now it's, you know, there's huge cottonwood trees and, you know, the site's really filling in um, so much like wildlife moving back into the site. And it's really cool to see. Um, and then uh, we also uh, wanted to use the site as a outdoor classroom and living laboratory for local students. Um, so as you know, because we work together at this site quite often, um, we bring student groups down to the site. Um, so often it'll be a whole class or maybe even a whole grade will come down together and do you know essentially a field trip at the site. But we have some programming that we do with them to teach them about um, riparian zones and how they function and the important role that they play in protecting the Columbia River and keeping it clean. They learn about the native and invasive species that are there, um, how we're restoring the site, you know, some of the different wildlife that uses the site and we do water quality monitoring with them. And then some of the student groups also do, you know, some monitoring or projects um, at the site. Um, you know, to kind of look at look at the habitat and, and how things are growing and changing there. So that's been a really cool project. Um, and our third main goal, so the, you know, we've got the restoration, the education, but um, the kind of third main goal with that is inclusion. So we really wanted this to be a site where um, everyone felt welcome and everyone could lend a hand in kind of making a change and transforming the site and connect with the site and connect with the river. So, um, you know, we're doing that with, um, you know, outreach in all the different communities in the gorge. Um, and we've got bilingual signage down there. We can do bilingual programming. Um, and so we, you know, we really want this to, to be a place where everyone is welcome and everyone can feel included. And it's been really awesome working with the school groups for that because we'll get students that come down with their school group. And then, you know, at our next work party, there'll be all these families there. And it's someone who's, you know, fifth grader dragged their whole family down to the site to come work after they came with their class um, because they were, you know, wanted to come and help out and make a difference at the site. So um, that's been a really um, awesome project. And we, we just this spring um, we're kind of starting to bring school groups back again um, after you know a little pause with the pandemic um, and it's just been awesome to to be back with students and so if there are you know if there are teachers or school groups or community groups that are interested in um, you know in learning more about it or or you know doing a program with us they should definitely reach out but then we also have you know there's you know, we'll have work parties or, you know, individual events where people can just, you know, come down and help out for, you know, an hour or two um, at the site. So that's a great way to get involved as well. That's, uh, yeah, that's really important for a community to participate on projects like this with Columbia River Keeper. And also uh, just 
any other environmental organizations that are working into protecting our natural resources. Uh, I mean, it's important for us to participate. But Columbia Riverkeeper is doing a great effort to do this uh, um, more like a multicultural or bicultural uh, programs and projects like a, in this case, a Nichols natural area, we have a signage on a, in Spanish and English. So because most of the community that um, uh, live in this area, they're English or Spanish speaking communities. So we are ensuring the members of the community, they, they have access to the information that we provide in our site and, and Nichols natural area. And also we are inviting our Latino community to participate with us. And uh, personally, I've been having a really great experience uh, having schools coming to the site and seeing all these Latino kids uh, learning about environmental advocacy and why it's important to restore a natural habitat. And this is kind of an, a clear example that how if a community works together, things happen. And, uh, and invite, I, I would like to invite uh, the community to go and visit Nichols Natural Area and, and see what's going on there, what's happening. Um, five years ago, when I started working for Columbia Riverkeeper, I think that's uh, I, that year before you guys planted those trees and they were just little twigs, uh, 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 you know, growing from the ground, standing on the ground. And now we have these beautiful trees that are growing. So I think it's really important to uh, for us as members of the community to go and look at it, these changes, and we get motivated to participate. And it's important uh, for us as a members of the community to, to in order to take advantage of spaces where we promote inclusion, to go to these places, take action, visit, and, and feel part of this process. Because uh, a lot of these uh, changes are happening because of the participation in the community and it's been uh, really nice seeing that not just the Anglo community, but Latino community can start coming to participate. And uh, kids from schools there, Latinos, they bring their families to and, and they learn about the importance of uh, restoring uh, a natural habitats and participating as a, as a community members. Yeah, and like I said, everything that has been done down there is at the hands of volunteers. You know, it's just, it's pretty incredible and, you know, a true community effort that has transformed that site. So um, we've been inviting schools to the site. Like, uh, uh, like you mentioned, we want this to be an outdoor laboratory. Um, how many students we have had on, on this site? Um, let's see. I'm, we were, you know, before the pandemic, we were getting like 800 to 1,000 students a year. Um, and then, you know, during the pandemic, um, as, you know, schools were closed down and for the safety of everyone, you know, we kind of paused that. But, but we actually shifted during the pandemic and um, we went online with our programming. So we developed um, an online pollution prevention curriculum, which is, it's still available. We, you know, I keep it updated and it's an awesome resource. It's targeted at middle school students, but it actually is great for students of all different ages. And um, there's, um, we have four different topics that we cover and there's great background information and then some different activities or hands-on labs that students could do either at home or in the classroom. 
Um, so that was a really great tool to you know put out for students during the pandemic. Um, and like I said, you know keep that available now. And then we were also doing webinars and you know kind of connecting with students in a different way. Um, you know as kind of everybody was in that time. Um, and yeah, we're kind of ramping back up again. I think we had uh, about 350 students this spring uh, down at the site. And so, yeah, we love having school groups or community groups down at the site and working with them. And it's pretty easy to tailor our programming or work with students of all different ages. So we've had students everywhere from, we've had preschoolers at the site all the way up through community college age students. So. Um, you know, really, there's opportunities to work with students of all different ages um, and, you know, create something, you know, that that works for them. And in all of our curriculum, you know, we it's kind of written in with the science standards in mind. So, you know, we try to make it kind of cohesive with what students are, are working on or learning in the classroom as well, but a way to kind of bring it to something that's you know, hands on and they're, you know, getting their getting their hands dirty and actually out in the environment, um, but connecting back to some of the the other work that they're doing in the classrooms. So, well, we can say we have a we we have had thousands of hands participating on Nichols Natural Area community members. Yeah, for and, sure. And one of the things that uh, I would like to mention is that uh, when I, I've been uh, able to invite members of the ESL classes, English as a second language. People that are learning uh, English, that came, they came to Nichols Natural Area for one of their classes. So we were talking about restoration and all the stuff in English. They were learning this uh, um, uh, part of the English language, right? That technique, not technical, but that, that like at the the um, common language for restoration, uh, environmental advocacy, and all the stuff in English. So that was really nice, and. Uh, and there is one experience I had that I, I really like to mention is like at this uh, um, and, and at this time when we were bringing kids from school, the second graders, and uh, and we were uh, doing presentations. Then a, a group of Latino kids they raised their hand and say, "Hey, we speak Spanish." So at the end, I have to do a bilingual presentation, which was really interesting and uh, and keep everybody entertained. So that's really uh, cool when we see that. Even kids that are claiming their language, their cultural roots, and say, "Hey, we speak Spanish. We want that in Spanish," and uh, and we were able to do it. Right? It's it's really really cool experience. Yeah, that's it's an awesome thing for to kind of be able to bring to the students. And I think, um, I mean, you bring so much to you. You know, you've done I think every program we've done down there, and so um, you know, definitely appreciate you know what you bring to the students, and um, you know, you bring so much enthusiasm and kind of, you know, fire to the table and get kids excited about, you know, these different issues. And, you know, you're talking not just about the restoration work, but, you know, some of the community organizing that you do and how you connect with people in the community and, and what that means for our community. So I, yeah, it's a really um, special opportunity. So, you know, I, I really appreciate your work and involvement with the project. Thank you. And this is one of the things that I, uh, and we see it on, on, on our work that we do. A lot of times is yeah, that we have to focus on what is developing the program, do the restoration, but also we learn that, that uh, we, we hear from members of the community their experiences and it becomes storytelling, you know, like, a, like a we are collecting stories 
what happened, you know, like uh, I remember once we were doing this uh, uh, planting, I think the last planting before the pandemic, and we have these kids naming the trees. Remember that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they were like their trees that they, you know, they had planted and they knew exactly which one and gave them a name and wanted to come back and visit them. And, and those are great stories that we can share with members of the community because those stories that those are the stories that build community. Like uh, I'm sure those kids they never forget that they plant the tree and I'm sure they're coming back to the site and check how the trees is doing. And I'm sure a lot of the kids that help us plant those first trees that now are like a 15, 17 feet tall, they're coming and looking at it. You know, I say, hey, I plant that tree. That's part of my participation with my community. That's what I did. I planted a tree and that tree now is thriving, is growing, and it is showing us how important it is to have a healthy, uh, riparian zone. Yeah, well, and a, a cool thing about cottonwood trees is, you know, as you mentioned, they were just sticks. So we can plant cottonwood trees just from, you know, a small cutting from another tree. So you can take take a stick and put that in the ground and that'll grow into a new tree. So they start out as, you know, it looks like just a stick a couple feet out of the ground, but cottonwoods grow really fast. And so, you know, these students that are coming maybe as a middle schooler, by the time they're graduating from high school, there's a tree, there's, you know, a huge tree there. So it's kind of a neat, um, you know, a dramatic transformation that they get to so, see, which and, is really cool. And beside the cottonwood trees, we have other things, right? Like a wild roses. Yeah, we've got, so that area, kind of a whole waterfront, um, you know, historically was primarily cottonwood trees, some willows. Um, so we've got cottonwoods, willows. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, there's rose. We've got some Oregon grape, snowberry, um, you know, a few different understory shrubs. And then, you know, we're, we, we have um, fought our battles with um, some of the invasive species. So, you know, things like the blackberry um, that, you know, there was a lot of it all over. And, you know, with our awesome volunteers that are willing to brave some scratches and help dig out the blackberry, we really have um, eradicated quite a bit of that. And there's, there's some other species that, you know, we're kind of working on, you know, weeding and pulling so that, um, you know, some of those, um, some of those native shrubs can kind of get a chance, get a foothold and, and take over. And it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's looking really good down there. And, and we still have bottles to count, right? With all this. Uh, oh, with the blackberry? Blackberry. Yeah. With the, so it's important for our community to participate because we still need their help. We need to bottle these uh, invasive species, you know, because I mean, I, I remember we were kind of cleaning up on the blackberry and a couple of years without doing nothing. Right. Start growing, right? Yeah, so. yeah. We had a few years with the pandemic where we didn't have events, um, and so yeah, we were able to have a, a work party this spring and get back down there and kind of clear out some of that blackberry that was, you know, trying to make a comeback in some places. Um, and it makes a huge difference. You know, we get a handful of volunteers out for an hour or two, and I mean, it's incredible what you know what we can get done. So, um, yeah, all of those, you know, the work parties are, you know, there's a lot of different ways people can help out. Um, so we definitely encourage, you know, anybody who's interested to, to learn more or come down to one of our events, come check it out. Um, or if you've got, you know, a school group or a community group, you know, when you want to do a program with us, definitely let us know. We love to, to work with the community. 
So if you want to know more about water quality on the Columbia, you can uh, contact Columbia Riverkeeper. You can contact Lori. Uh, your email is... It's Lori, it's L-O-R-R-I, at ColumbiaRiverkeeper.org. Or you can contact me, Ubaldo, at ColumbiaRiverkeeper.org. And uh, we, will, we will be happy to uh, share information with you or connect you with the right person to, to talk to. Which uh, absolutely. That will be Lori. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Uh, unless you want to speak Spanish, and that will be me. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, we are really happy to do this project, work on these projects, and work with our community. And uh, and there is an, a lot more that we can talk to you about it, but uh, time is kind of limited. Uh, unless you have something, other things to that well, you want to talk about? I'll just say again, you know, if people are interested in learning more about any of these projects um, or gathering some more information, there's a lot of information on our website. Um, a lot of it is in English and Spanish. So, um, you know, that's a great resource um, if people, you know, just want to, to learn a little bit more about any of these. Well, remember, you can always contact Columbia Riverkeeper, visit our website, or contact Lori, Lori at ColumbiaRiverkeeper.org or Ubaldo at ColumbiaRiverkeeper.org and uh, participate with us. And we will really happy to, uh, to have you on our team and to work in these efforts to protect and restore uh, natural habitats and to ensure the water quality on the Columbia River. And uh, well, Lori, I think time is up for us this day. But uh, I hope you come back soon because this is a really great conversation and there is a lot more topics that we would like to talk to uh, our communities that happen in the Columbia River. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's always um, a pleasure to, to get to work with you and, um, and have these conversations and share them with folks. Well, thank you and thank you for our listeners. Uh, remember, you are listening to Conoce Tu Columbia. This is a program produced by Columbia Riverkeeper. My name is Ubaldo Hernandez, and uh, you will hear from us in the next couple weeks. You can always close your eyes, but you can't close your ears. Hola, los invito a escuchar Conoce Tu Columbia, un programa producido por Columbia Riverkeeper que se transmite cada otro martes de 7 a 8 de la noche. Entérese de lo que pasa en las comunidades que vivimos a lo largo del río Columbia. Compartimos información sobre la importancia de proteger nuestros recursos naturales. Además, tocamos temas de justicia social y culturales que son relevantes para nuestras comunidades. Recuerde, escuche Conoce Tu Columbia en Radio Tierra, el latido del gorcho. Tu radio comunitaria. Qué difícil cantarle a Tierra Madre que nos aguanta y nos vio crecer. Usted está escuchando Radio Tierra en el 95.1 FM Hood River, 95.9 FM Stevenson, 107.1 FM Parkdale, 107.7 FM Didells, Casas, El Latido del Gorge, su radio comunitaria.